Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. You know what time it is. My name is Ewa Kim Eriksson. This is not an episode, though. I can't do it. I can't do an episode. It's too much. I, I'm trying to record an audiobook, and it's just like crushing my brain to try to... It's too much of the same. It's like how back in the day when I was trying to write a novel, I also had an office job, and sometimes at the office I would have to like write something. So I'd end up with like a writing project at work. And it just didn't work. Like sitting in an office in front of a computer and doing writing half of the day and then go home and try to write, it was like, ah, it's just not possible to do one thing all day. There's a there's a limit there. And that's how the audiobook is feeling. I can't I can't podcast on top of it. It's absolutely melt, melting my brain. So I'm gonna give you this. This is a non-episode. I'm gonna talk about one thing. And I'm going to drink one water. That's it. Okay, so here's the first thing we should talk about. Death. So I was talking to back in Seattle. And okay, yeah, doesn't want me to use her name. So I was talking to uh, an anonymous person back in Seattle. She was telling me how there are these two people that own this bar that I used to go to with some fucking hipster name, like fucking Larry and the Dragon or some shit. They own it, but they're also bar patrons at her bar. So she serves them all the time. She's known them for years. They come in and they do sort of like talk for hours. And then she served this guy. And then, and she served him a fuck ton of alcohol. That's the terms she used. And then he went to a show, I think a music show, and he had a a few more drinks. And then he died. And she was very upset and she was saying all these like vague sort of elliptical philosophical things about just like how weird is life and it just sort of goes away and and just saying these things that really are things you say when you're in your feeling, you know, when you're in your feelings. And it made me think of how I wasn't in her feeling. Like, as much as I'm try- I try to be an empathetic person, I try to be a good person, I try to be there for my people when they feel stuff, and, like, I was nice to her, but, the- but I- it was very interesting to me to just sit with myself and notice how just because you say a bunch of vague things about it and because you're really deep in a feeling does not mean that you're conveying or, like, that you make, maybe you're conveying it in language, but it really doesn't make you make me feel anything. Like, I felt very much nothing about this thing. It's actually kind of loaded where there's just something about when people say that someone died and they tried to describe how close or not close to that person they was, they were. Um, it's, It's something like, unless, you know, it's a weird sort of like event horizon when you get super close to the gravity of it, you're pulled into the atmosphere of the planet and you cannot escape. But if you're not that close to the atmosphere, you actually need fuel to get yourself closer to the planet. And what I mean by this comparison here is like, if you're not super close, if it's not your mom and your dad, if it's your mom and your dad, you really don't have to say anything and you you it just it's very self-explanatory and you're really not concerned with describing your relationship to the person who died but if it's like an acquaintance then there's this part of you that's like trying to explain why you feel upset and trying to explain how you were actually kind of close and when you're 
really using up fuel to explain why you were really close. It comes off as this weird, like, it just comes off as something. I don't know. And that's kind of alienating to everyone, I think. It just makes you, it, it makes anyone a little bit skeptical where you feel a little bit like a bandwagonist. I don't know. That's an asshole thing to say, but I think that's how, I think that's how we hear it, everyone. And then, so maybe my guard was up a little bit because she was, it was a little bit like, look, this is like some guest, you know, in a, in a work and like, I don't know. But anyway, there's also this other angle. Oh, fuck, I'm such a piece of shit. Like, why do I have to police her way of how she feels? And, you know, I'm not doing it to her face, you know? Like, to her face, I just, I really care about her, and I, I really care about how she feels, and I really want her. I mean, I'm just, I just talked to her, talked her through her emotions, and I just, like, was sort of trying to be there for her as much as in my head I'm like, I'm not exactly convinced that it that it needs to be a, a big deal, but like we are allowed to be assholes in our inside of our own heads, right? Like as long as we're good people, I this is really something that if this isn't true, then I'm fucked. But like it's true, right? We're allowed to be rude inside of our own heads as long as we're kind of good to the people around us, right? Jesus Christ, a lot is contingent on that being true. But anyway. Um, and then the podcast is that is the podcast inside of my head, or am I being an asshole now? You know, why can't I just keep these things in my head? Anyway, so I was sitting and thinking a lot about her thing in relation to the podcast, actually, because I'm. I think a lot of times I get really wrapped up in an emotion, and I talk about how it makes me feel, and I just marvel at an emotion that I'm feeling, and that's really the thing that doesn't really connect for whoever you're talking to, because like just marveling at how much you're feeling your emotion doesn't really make the person you're talking to feel like, oh yeah, I feel that too, because nah, I don't, I don't. And I, you mar you marveling at the depth of your own feeling is like, if anything, it makes me feel disconnected from you. But anyway, so that happened and, and then, you know, I talked her through it and, and it didn't make a huge impression on me more than it made me wonder how often I have talked about something on the podcast that no one has fucking connected to. And it made me feel a little bit bad in that sense, just in the sense of like, how fucking sad is it that we're so often just so disconnected from each other and just so, so completely not feeling each other, you know, that's sad. And that's something to marvel at. Because most of the time, we just fucking don't feel each other. But anyway, so then a few days later, my mom calls me. And then she's telling me about this guy. And it's, I don't know, I shouldn't use his name, I think. But it's a guy who was my best friend when I was a kid, um, when I was really young. Like when I was like five and six and seven and eight and nine and ten years old. And then we had one fight. We were playing in a creek a tiny creek, a, a a water thing that's like, it's like two feet wide and there's just water trickling along and it's got like sand banks on both sides and you just sort of like crouch down in the sand and just, and we would always try to make a dam and just make the water stop. But the, the slow trickle of the water, it just would never stop. And then we would just sit there with sticks and just poke at the dirt and just sort of like 
collect rocks and just sort of try to build a dam to make the water stop and make it deep. And then sometimes we'd see a little fish and then sometimes we'd catch a little um, tadpole and then sometimes there'd be a frog and sometimes I'd catch a little grasshopper. You know, I'm an outdoorsy kid. You know, what you're hearing here is that's me having a fucking perfect childhood. But anyway, this one time I'm poking the dirt with a stick and he's poking the dirt with a stick. And I think some water got on me and I got annoyed and I got some water on him and then he splashed more water on me. And then I got livid. I got furious. I'm like 10 or 11 and I just get furious and I just storm home and I never talk to him again. And then that's not true because then suddenly I'm in like fourth grade and now we're in the same class, right? So now we're in the same class and he is much more athletic than me and kind of cooler and there's a tension. And I think he never actually made fun of me, but I always felt like he was making fun of me. So I'm a piece of shit again, like, or everything is in my head. And I think in reality, he was probably, uh, his friend, he had a friend that was a little bit of a bully. That was a little bit of a piece of shit towards me. And his friend that was his new compadre after me. I like leveled down in a way to a much more socially uh, uncool person to be my new best friend. This is at a, at a for a, the first like 15 years of my life or something, it was one best, like you have one friend and that's your best friend and that's it. Like you just hang out one-on-one and that's it. You have one friend and when one leaves, you just like end up with a new one and it's one at a time. And, and so... So I had a new best friend and he was very nerdy and then he had a new best friend and he was they were both super athletic together. And then there is like a story, like a super traumatic core memory that I've talked about on the podcast that that his new best friend uh, roasted me in class once when we were talking about countries. And it's like in third grade, they just like talk you through countries and they just like tell you about every country and they just tell you talk for 15 minutes about each country and then when we talked about thailand i it it would be like tomorrow we're going to talk about thailand and then i would raise my hand and be like my grandparents are were in thailand and they gave me a hat and then the week before it had been like yeah next week we're going to talk about thailand and i'd like raise my hand and be like my grandparents were in thailand and they gave me a hat from thailand and then when we talked about Thailand, I like fucking raised my hand again. And I was like, yeah, my grandparents were in Thailand and they gave me a hat from Thailand. And this guy fucking turns around, looks at me and goes, bro, no one gives a shit that your grandparents were in Thailand or that they got you a hat. And it was the most devastating burn. It was the first time I became self-aware and realized that people can see me from the outside, that I am a viewable object and that I can be destroyed. And I was destroyed that day. And that's my ex-best friend's new best friend. You feel me? But anyway, so this best friend character, um, I think, and this is really what it's about. Like, I think, um, you know, and this feels fucking stupid to say, and it feels bad, and I'm ashamed of it. But I think so many of the people I knew, like, in first to third grade and in fourth to sixth grade and seventh to ninth grade and all these different school situations, people I spent every day with, so much of my psychology is that I feel like I am competing with them and losing. Like even now, like as a grown man, like I'm in my 30s, I haven't talked to them for decades. 
But like, there's something where I'm just like, I'm sure they're doing so much better than me. And it's like, out of all the humans in the universe, those are the, like, the people that I spent every day with in third grade are the, that's the set of people that I compare myself to. And I mean, that makes sense, I guess, because you all fucking, school is kind of a training camp for life, right? And you go to boot camp together, and then you exit boot camp, and then it's like, well, how are you going to do now? And then some people do good, and some people do bad. And it's like, you did boot camp together, and then you compare yourself to the people you did boot camp with. Because, like, you can't compare yourself to people that did boot camp earlier or after you or whatever, because that doesn't make any sense. That's not a good comparison. But the people I spent, like... I'm so emotionally bonded to these people forever. It's so weird because it's not logical or good. Like there's no, I wish it wasn't true. I wish there was something I could do to change it. But I feel so emotionally connected to them in a negative way. And I feel like, yeah, they are my, that's like my client, that's my ilk, you know? That's my um, cohort is a weird American word that I, always struggle to remember. Anyway, um, yeah, so there's this guy, right? And, and I don't know, I just, I don't know anything about him. And I haven't talked to him since I was 10 years old, right? And I'm turning 37 this year. And then my mom calls me and my mom is friends with his mom. And then my mom is like, yeah, so he's been living in Canada for the last few years. And he just died because he got cancer and he got really sick and he it took like 6 months after they discovered the cancer he just died and it's like so not it doesn't hit me like in an emotional way cuz like i don't know i haven't talked to this guy in forever you know like i don't know it hits me like any death and then i what it hits me is more it hits me as a philosophical thing it hits me as an intellectual thing of just like realizing Because then something happens in my psychology where, like, there's a little bit of a reset button where, like, this race, I mean, in a way, in a fucked up way, the the really, like, a hard-coded, weird, Freudian, animalistic part of the brain that's competing with them, in a way, it's like you won or something? Like, how fucked up is that? But it's like, like, that sense is more like all the pressure goes away and it's like, oh. And then... I don't know. There's something, you know, there's something in the devastation, there's something really freeing. And that's been true for me with a lot of things, like really big setback or bad news or whatever. There's some freedom there because really these are the things we're afraid of. And so when they happen, it's like, well, I guess shit just keeps going, you know? And we just kind of wake up. I am so interested in like, what does it mean for a parent to die. It's like a fucked up thing to think about, but I almost think that it's good to not be in denial and to just think about it in advance. I don't know, this is kind of fucked up to talk about, but like my dad, there's been a couple of like suicide attempts. So that's been a thing that like poses the question to you where you're like, when you hear that there was like a suicide attempt, you're like, so what would I have felt like if the attempt had succeeded. Like, what would that feel like? And then, so I think I'm really, like, my novel, a big part of the novel is, like, about the death of my father, but my dad is not actually dead yet. You know, it was just a way for me to, like, work through it preemptively. 
I don't know, that's probably not like a good way to do anything, but that's how I did things, you know? And I think, this is so fucking fucked up to talk about, but like, I think a lot of my stuff in my psychology is about policing my mom and just keeping my mom happy because I just really love her and I just want her to be happy and I want her to be proud of me and I just want her to feel happy that I'm doing good. So it's like, I don't even need to be doing good for myself. I just want to be doing good so she can think that I'm doing good. And I think that's honestly how a lot of my psychology is uh, constructed. And I'm really doing good right now in the sense that like, I really fucking go to work and I never miss work. And I, you know, I take care of my health and I eat healthy and I don't drink alcohol. And I, there are all these things of how I'm just like structured as fuck. And I think I'm really just doing them for my mom. And it's such a weird, unrealistic thing because my mom doesn't even live in America. Whatever, however I'm doing, I could just call my mom and tell her I'm doing good. I could just lie, you know? It's so weird for me to actually do it, but I'm actually doing it for some fucking reason. And then it raises the question of like, oh, I'm trying to like impress this external person and I'm not trying to do things in for the intrinsic value, the inherent value of how it's good to just be doing good. So like, what happens when my mom dies? What happens when my mom dies, you know? Do I just, do I go back to drinking? Probably. It's a complete unknown, honestly. I, I retract the probably. I have no idea. I have no It's just a complete black abyss. Beyond that point, I have no idea what lies beyond that point. I think my entire psychology will unravel when my mother dies. And I think that's it, you know? I will have to build up a, a brand new person. I will have to find a brand new identity. It's so weird because like sometimes I don't talk to my mom for like months and I haven't lived like I haven't lived in the same country as my mom for decades. It's like very, none of it makes any sense. Like if it was true that all of my psychology, like why don't I live next to my mom and just check in on her and make her happy? Like she's so unhappy that I live in America but pff, I don't know. None of this makes any sense, bro. The truth, though, the truth doesn't change. And, like, there are certain lessons that don't change. And those, like, just the lessons in meditation of just, like, just be here in this moment and realize that all of these things are just constructs in your mind and constructs of thought and expectation and belief. And just realize that all you really have is just, like, there's this room here. I don't know. There's this there's this song called I Spy by Lil Yachty. <laughs> I think the first 30 seconds of that song are so fucking inspirational. It's just so beautiful. Uh, you should listen to that song. The first 20 seconds are just like, it's just so real. I just love it when people give up on trying to sound cool and they just say things that speak directly to uh, the reptile brain. Anyway, all right, bitches, let's let's drink a water. Actually, let me talk about something that happened at work first. It's just I just had this funny interaction. We it's Friday night. We got super busy, 
and we were a little bit understaffed. One of my surgers had one of my surgers, one of my servers had eye surgery uh, and couldn't show up. So we were a little bit understaffed. We're way busier than expected. Um, everyone's scrambling. Everyone's trying to catch up. And then right in the middle of when it's the busiest, th- these two people show up and seat themselves in the bar. Meaning that they don't go up to the host to check in, to get a table. They just go in and just sit down, which is like not, it's a good way to fucking get forgotten about. I tell you that right now. And like, I have a system, we have sections that that table belonged to a server. It shouldn't have gotten forgotten about. It didn't get forgotten about. Like I'm floating and I pick up the slack and I notice when things are getting forgotten about. Like that's my job as just... Uh, the guy, you know? So I see these people. I see that they're sitting there. I see that they're getting a little bit antsy. I give them menus. And then I notice that the server doesn't go over. So I'm like, I'm going to, I go up to them and I'm like, I'm going to get you a server right away. I'm, I'm sorry that you're, uh, I appreciate your patience here. And then um, they uh, sit there and they sit there and the server just cannot make it over there. The server has way too much shit going on. So I just walk up there myself and I'm like, um, gonna offer them a drink. And as I'm walking over, I can hear the lady exclaim, sort of just announce to the room, like announce to her husband loudly, 13 minutes. That's what she said. As if to say they've been sitting here for 13 minutes. And look, I mean, look, this is sensitive and I don't want to sound like I'm running a shitty restaurant or nothing, but like I know a lot of places in the world where 13 minutes is not that, like 13 minutes is not that much when you just show up and sit down and and we're it's a mad scramble it's like 7 p.m the absolute busiest moment on a friday night when you're understaffed and surprisingly busy it's like 13 minutes ain't ain't the world lady but i make it up there and i offer them a drink and then they have the weirdest drink order that actually reminded me a little bit of myself because the guy was like i want a vodka tonic and i want two of them served tall not a double, two of them. The lady's like, he wants extra mixer. And it's like, you you mean tonic water. But it really reminds me of me. Like, I'm the type of guy that will, when I place an order, I'll ask annoying questions like, what is your biggest glass? Like, I just really like having a lot of liquid. There's something really nice to me about just like drinking a lot of liquid. So I'll I'll make him break out some fucking, give me a pitcher, you know? Serve me just like one shot of vodka in a pitcher. Because I'm I'm trying to get hydrated, you know, and wasted. But like, um, you know, I just want a lot of liquid. So he's like, yeah, he wants two single shots, but in separate glasses and two big Collins, Collins glasses. Anyway, reminded me of me. And then they got, they ordered oysters. And then I could already tell that it, this was going to be just a little bit tough. That this was, that they, ah, that they weren't super happy. And so I already felt this pressure to not really go over there or something. And then um, I just was scared. I was scared. I felt fear. And then I keep telling the server like, hey, listen, make sure those drinks make it to the table. And they also ordered a dozen oysters from me. I can't remember if I already said that. But anyway, the um, the oysters are delivered by uh, Maya, the sweetest the sweetest little 16-year-old you ever saw. And I and people just come up to me immediately and they're like, dude, they're yelling at Maya. They're yelling at Maya. And then Maya comes up to me and she's like, they want, 
they want an oyster fork. And I don't think we have that. And I'm like, yeah, we don't. We don't. And so I go up there and the guy is just livid. He's livid. He's out of control. And he goes, and now I'm just going to quote him because I don't want to exaggerate and I don't want to under-exaggerate, you know? Whatever the opposite of exaggerate is. I just want to really explain to you that like the guy is like first being calm and screaming and saying, look, we go have oysters everywhere. I've had oysters for decades. I've never been to a place where they don't have an oyster fork. You guys always have oyster forks. And I'm like, We've never had an oyster fork. And here's the thing. We have never had an oyster fork. Since the current ownership bought the hotel uh, three, four years ago, we've never had an oyster fork. And he's like, I live one block from here. I come here only for the oysters. You always have oyster forks. And then he screams, are you calling me a fucking liar? And everyone in the restaurant like quiets down and just is looking at it because this man is just screaming at me at the top of his lungs. And his wife is like putting a hand on his leg being like, honey, 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 calm down, calm down. And he's just screaming at me like, dude, this is fucking insane. I just paid 70 bucks for oysters. You don't have a fucking fork. I have a oyster fork in my house. You want me to bring a fucking oyster? He's just dropping F-bombs, just screaming at me. And then here's the thing that I wanted to say about it, that like I (laughs) at this point, I have come so far. I've come far enough. This shit used to really stress me out. At this point, I have come far enough that I'm good. It's fine. You can scream at me. And like I don't no composure is lost. I don't get stressed out to where like I'm in fight or flight mode and my brain gets less smart. None of that happens. I'm chilling, bro. Like, I just, <laughs> I was thinking of all these funny jokes. I could take it. I could take it. Like, I could take it in so many funny directions. And, <laughs> and, and I just start riffing with the guy. And I'm just like, look, sir, your experience is valid. Like, I'm not saying your experience is invalid. I'm not gaslighting you. But you're totally wrong. You, we, you've never had a oyster fork in here. <laughs> And I'm just like laughing up a storm and he's screaming at me. And and then eventually we're just like – and here's the thing. His, he It took a second for us to greet him. So I want, I was already feeling like I should give this guy a drink for free. Like not all of them, but like I'm going to give these guys a discount because we made them wait. And then when you're screaming in my face – I'm dropping a bunch of F-bombs and being extremely rude. Now I'm like, oh, no, we're good. I'm not going to give you anything for free. Like, that's not the kind of behavior that we want to encourage. Like, this is not proper behavior. It's fine if you don't come back. Like, you have a fucking personality disorder. Like, you need a therapist, brother. Um, So then... I kind of just rounded off and I'm like, look, I don't, I don't think we've ever had an oyster fork, but I will conduct an investigation. That's what I tell him. And I walk off and I just sort of check in with all the managers and chef who's been there like forever. And I'm like, chef, have we ever had oyster forks? And chef was like, no. And then I'm like, why is it okay that we don't like, because we shuck them. An oyster fork is only for separating the flesh of the oyster from the shell. And if they're shucked properly, that's already happened, where it's already been separated. So the fork is superfluous. And looking back on it, I wish I would have thought about that a little bit more and come up with a little bit more insulting stuff to say. And I could have been like, yeah, you know, oyster forks, they're really like 1990s. Like, it's really sort of like not modern at all. And like, 
it's really not cool. Like oyster forks are really lame. And asking for an oyster fork is actually very embarrassing. <laughs> I wish I would have gone, gone more in that direction. But instead, I I go back to him and everyone has seen me being screamed at by this unhinged man. So everyone is like just waiting, waiting in the wings, just looking at the scene from across the room as I go back to the guy, just waiting for me to scream at him again waiting for him to scream at me. And so then when I get up there, he actually is, has completely changed. And now he's like, look, I really appreciate you You're being, he, he's telling me I'm being very nice. And he, he even goes, hey, can I buy you a drink? That's what he told me. It's like, guy, guy, you're good. Like, it's so funny when people overplay their hand, they get into this other mode of now, now we're going to be really nice because we we went too fucking hard in the paint in one direction. So now we're going to change up here. That happens a lot between different people. Like when when someone really yells at one of my servers and the server is like, you got to go talk to this person. He He's like completely furious. When I go up there, he's super happy because... He felt like he yelled too much. So now he got it out of his system and now he feels a little bit guilty and bad. So now he's like super nice. So now he's being extremely nice to me. So it's like you often get that sort of switch when people feel themselves topping at peaking a little bit, when they feel themselves going a little bit too much into the red. And so that's what happened with this fella. And so then we're like laughing and stuff and everyone got so scared. Oh, <laughs> All these different people, all these different coworkers came up to me afterwards and was like, it was really scary to see that man laugh so much uh, with you because that really, it, it. I don't know, there's something about it where it just feels like you're dealing with an active shooter situation, like an upcoming active shooter situation or something. Like It's just a really unhinged human being where you really cannot read the person and you don't know what's coming next. It's kind of terrifying. But so... Anyway, I just excuse myself after the second time and we're laughing and and he's like saying how the oysters are so delicious and there's no fork, but they're so delicious and everything is so great. And so I leave and then like 20 minutes later, fucking Tristan comes up to me and she's like, <laughs> she's like the guy asked for, he asked for the check and the manager and then he winked and I'm like, this guy wants me, a th this guy needs me to touch the table a third time. This guy really needs me back there again. And so I go up there and it's like, he's describing how he is actually taking the shells home because he has an oyster mound at his house where whenever he gets oysters, he builds a big mound, which is a type of compost that decomposes the oyster shells and they have all these really beneficial sea minerals that make this incredible soil that's really good for your plants. So he's putting all these oyster shells in a to-go box. And he's like, and as I am putting them into to-go box, into a to-go box, I count them and I realize that there's only 11. And then I'm like, oh God. He ordered a dozen oysters and we gave him 11 oysters. So it's like, okay, guy, fine, you win. Fine. And I just gave him half of the oyster, half of the dozen for free. It's like, fine. You're clearly, you know, I don't know. 
And then I just walk off into the sunset and say, hope to see you soon, sir. And he goes, I'll bring my own fork. And uh, yeah, the inmates are running the asylum. That's all I got to say about it. The inmates are running the asylum. I don't know. I don't know, man. I don't know. I feel like we lost the plot. What is the point of it all? What is the point of it all with these people? Um, Anyway, let's drink a water. Okay. Um, Blood orange flavored hop water. The brand is hop water. And it's hop water spelled W-T-R. So I really wonder, who was the first one to drop all the consonants? Was it Tumblr? I, I feel like it was Tumblr who was like, we'll just drop a consonant and people will still get it. Shouts out to Maddie. She got me this water. Oh, that smells good. Oh, that's great. That's a nine out of 10. I'm only reviewing one water this non-episode. So it's nice that it's a nine out of 10. All right. Anyway, that's the end of the episode. I, I can't, I don't, I can't do this anymore. I have to just go to bed. A very, very big day tomorrow. 14 hours, 14 hours of running a wedding tomorrow. So, you know, gotta, gotta make sure it's all good. Love you guys. I will have, and when April is over, I'll have real episodes again and it'll be good.